And in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Investment Property Income Podcast. My name is Jeff Eady. Joining me today in his unusual self, Mr. Jonathan Tilger, one of Canada's top mortgage brokers. How are you today, sir? I am awesome, Jeff. Yourself? I am fantastic. I did not lay it on very thick today because I said your name first and I have to do that last. So I had to come in on that intro a little fast. Sorry, bud. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. It's all, <laughs> always a pleasure talking with you, even when you don't butter me up first. <laughs> <laughs> so um, very quickly, I want to say, I don't know if uh, you had a chance uh, total side topic to today's topic, by the way. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at that email I sent you. Uh, the gentleman named Cameron, I told you about this email. I had the best, you know, I, I do a lot of the marketing for us and handle a lot of the, uh, the emails and stuff. And I had the best email I've ever seen using video, uh, the other day that I, I told you about this email. You told me about it and I did, I did see it. Yes. <clears throat> did you watch the video? I did. Yes. That was fantastic. Was it not? That was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and, and just for our listeners, what uh, what this gentleman did was he actually created a, a one-off video. And in the thumbnail, he has a, a whiteboard with my name written on it. And uh, he attaches this, he puts, what was it, a 45-second video maybe? But he spoke both to Jonathan and myself, and he, he was talking about some stuff to do with the podcast. But I was just like, what a brilliant use of video marketing. I'm not a fan of putting video in emails until now that was personalized that was um that's the big thing with videos is they're never personalized right yeah exactly when you're you're speaking to uh you're speaking to everyone you're speaking to no one so anyhow that was a side note i just wanted to throw that out there because i thought it was so cool i I was so impressed with that and you know what a a marketing nerd i am so (laughs) anyhow jonathan back to your area of special specialty let's talk about uh, today secret number five Secrets to wealthy homeowners, and that would be using your home to invest. Now, I understand this concept, but this isn't an, this isn't a thing that exists at all times. Am I right? This is a we live in a very special era where mortgage rates are low enough to get a high enough return to make it worth it. But if you're getting like an 18, 19 percent mortgage like the 80s, this wouldn't be a thing, right? Well, you all, it, it always, uh, part of what has to be weighed is what type of return can you get mm-hmm. versus, versus what, uh, what are you paying for the money? And yeah, if, if, if rates are 18, 19% back as they were, as you say, 30, 40 years ago, I guess it was 30 years ago, uh, then it probably would be challenging to make this work. Uh, but especially with the way things are with rates, in addition to just the appreciation that's been happening, there's a lot of people who are sitting on a ton of equity in their house. All right. And so let's, right- sorry. Let, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, let's dig into this because the old school way of looking at this was pay off your house, live mortgage free till you die. Yep. Is that still a true axiom or have it's- times changed? It's still, it's still, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but when you say have times changed, you've got to look at some of the opportunities which are available to you mm-hmm. and also the cost of the money you're getting. As you said, interest rates are so low right now. You're getting things, I mean, rates around 2%. If you invest it in most places, you can, you can do significantly more than that. 
If you just look at the long-term returns in the stock market, which are about, I think, 8%. I'd have to somewhere between 8 and 9%, I think, long-term. So if you just took that, put it into some sort of fund, even if you're getting half that number, you're still ahead of the game. Mm-hmm. You mean like an index fund? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not a mutual fund. I'm sorry. I don't like mutual funds, so I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make that differentiator there. Oh, by the way, this is, you know, this is advice or this is not advice. This is just our opinions on this. But um, so what has changed and, and do you see an age to it? Because this is something that, that I've experienced. There seems to be kind of a generational cutoff for this way of thinking. Do you, do you find that? Uh, well, yes and no. And I, I say that, like, what are your thoughts as far as a generational cutoff? Where, where do you see the break? Well, I would say kind of at the top of Gen X, um, which nobody talks about us anymore. And it, we're all very, very, very dejected. Um, <laughs> it is. It's all Gen Y, Gen Z. And uh, what were the old ones? Oh, boomers. Okay, boomers. Yep. Nobody's been talking about us for like 20 years. And it sucks. We, we, we anyway. skipped over. Yep. <laughs> just means we've been quiet. We've been waiting. Um, no, I, I find kind of at the top of Gen, Gen X, there's, I would say in the top half, there's still of that, say, analog era mindset of the RRSP and, and paying off your home. And then anybody kind of say around 50 or younger is now kind of coming around to the idea of borrowing from their home to invest. Like they're more open to options like that. I find that's around the obvious, you know, that's just my opinion, but. Well, yeah, well, a, a big part is I think there's just so much more information out there and people have been educated with things for a very, I mean, just getting so much more information and hearing so many other strategies. And let's, let's, let's face it. Some people are being told strategies by someone who wants to sell them something mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. may not be the right strategy at that time, but they're still hearing and saying, Hey, that's a good idea. I like yeah. that. I like that. I like that. And so, yeah, there, I think just for those reasons, there's, there's so much more out there. Yeah, I would say, and information obviously has never been easier to access, especially, you know, if you think about it, we've only really had smartphones a little over a decade. And yep. it's insane the amount of information we're able to access at the touch of our fingers. Um, you know, a total side note, because I'm feeling like that today. I was watching something, uh, Adam Curry was talking about uh, people being on their cell phones and and never having them out of their hands and i thought what if we did that back in like the the 80s and 90s when we had phones either attached to the wall or uh or or portables if you never had it out of your hand how inconvenient would your lifestyle be (laughs) anyhow back to uh back to borrowing against your mortgage so and speaking of gen x Do you find now also this could be a risk tolerance thing, but but back to that generational thing, do you find that older folks are open to this or do you find it's more of a a younger uh, style of thinking? I find some older folks are definitely open to it. And where I'm seeing it more is through financial advisors I know Mm. who are going through and looking at someone's situation and saying currently based on your objectives, you don't have the runway you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to look to accelerate things. And, and what they're often looking to is, hey, we've, you've got, you're sitting on a ton of equity in your house. I mean, your, your house, your house that you bought, what, 50, uh, 10, 15 years ago for 400 grand is now worth $1.7 million. Mm-hmm. Your mortgage is, I mean, you're carrying a small mortgage of 200,000. You're sitting on a ton of equity in there. You, we need to accelerate your savings 
or you're investing for your retirement, mm-hmm. let's you let's look at the house. And so that that's where I'm finding older people just by older, I just mean call it, as you say, about the, the, the 50 plus group. That's where I'm seeing I'm, I'm having a number of conversations with people right now in that group. And they're coming through financial advisors who are just looking at their situation, saying, how can we get how can we help you reach your goals? So you would say that like minds are being opened at this point in time. They are. Yes. OK, so there is a massive shift and it's not just a generational thing. I think it maybe it maybe it started with people being younger and, you know, meetup groups and all of those things. But I really think that people are starting to catch on like, holy crap, if I can borrow money at two percent, and lend it out at six. That's better than none. <laughs> oh, exactly. And that's as you say, if you're able to just, hey, I'm making six, that's something I'm paying two for. How, how yeah. long am I going to do that for as often as much as I can? Well, you know, and this, this comes back to something I was watching on, uh, on YouTube yesterday and this family had uh, found $42,000 that was stashed away in the attic. And in like 1951, it was stashed there. And in 1951, it was like that. They said the equivalent of $420,000 and today it's worth $42,000. That's, kind of messed up yeah that is massive massive depreciation on your money and this is what i think a lot of people don't truly understand is that money loses its buying power every year yes forty two thousand dollars in 1951 was worth a buttload of money now it's worth forty two thousand dollars <laughs> well i think forty two thousand in 1951 how many houses could you bought out cash with that oh and how, how much would that real estate be worth today Oh, well, I know uh, the place that I used to rent in Toronto, my landlord bought it for $30,000 in the 70s. And uh, I don't know what he got for it, but I'd be surprised if he didn't get a million and a half. Yeah. Which is crazy. Just, and it, it, just and crazy. if you go, you go back in 51, so throw 20 years before that, what could you have bought at that time? Jeez. So... The first thing we need to learn here is that money on its own <laughs> will, will depreciate. We can't let money depreciate. Yeah. The other thing here is I think one of the keys for people, there's so much, this is going to be a long one, Jonathan. I got a lot of things I want to discuss around this. <laughs> well, this is a really interesting one for me because this was where my mindset really first started to shift about how money makes money. See, people are paying into their mortgage for 20, 30 years. They pay down their mortgage and they live mortgage free. And that's great. You don't have to put that money in every month. But what they're not understanding is that that money sitting there is only going to appreciate at the market level. But what you can do is take the bricks and mortar and the actual money and separate them, have them both grow at the same time. Yeah. That was, that was the key concept that changed my mind around everything. So wait a minute, the house and the property are going to be worth what they're going to be worth, no matter what I do. That's completely out of my control. Yeah. But when you take the money out of there, it's still going to do its own thing at three, 4% a year on average or 36. If you live out here, Uh (laughs) I know it's so crazy. Uh, welcome to the Niagara wine region. Um, <laughs> but, but now you've taken that equity out. You've taken that money out of your house. You still got to pay for it, but we have ways to do that. Right. And um, then that money can go, go work for you in another place. So you get, basically you supercharge your investing power. Is that correct? Yeah, you would. <clears throat> 
See that, and it's, it's, it's sorry. Go ahead. It's it's well. I mean, so so many people talk about the 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 power of using other people's money. Essentially, using how to leverage how to use other people's <laughs> money to get yourself ahead. <laughs> and <laughs> and really, and that's come up. <laughs> really, when it comes to your house, you don't want to risk your house so you lose your house. But you can smartly use it because that is the cheapest source of money you will ever be able to borrow is against your primary residence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if you smartly use that, you can really get yourself ahead in a much faster way. Yeah. Yeah. So explain, explain how you would go about doing this. So somebody realizes they've had their house for 15 years. They're well down the road and paying it off. They're not there though. It's a $500,000 mortgage because that's the same example we ever use and I don't want to hear depends. Uh, <laughs> if they came to you at that point, you know, it, what would you tell somebody? So they're sitting on a million dollar house with a $500,000 mortgage on it. Mm -hmm. Sure, that works. So really it's, uh, it's, where do they want to get to? I mean, you've got to, you've got to start with a conversation of what are some of their financial goals they, they want to, to achieve. Now, I will just, first of all, I'm not a financial advisor. So if we need a financial advisor, I've got some excellent ones I work with to help out and help put a real game plan and strategy together. But let's, let's look at what your goals and your objectives are. Going, well, you know what? I want, to retire in, uh, I want to retire in 10 years' time. Okay, so what are your current assets? Well, my house. And okay, the plan is we'll have it paid off in 10 years. Well, then what, then what do you have? And sometimes the plan is, hey, we're, we'll just sell the house and we'll live off the money. Well, you still got to live somewhere, so we're going to pay for something. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to get put together a game plan, and this starts tying into our investment property income where, you know what? One asset you can invest in is real estate. But it doesn't need to be real estate. It could, it could be investing into a variety of stocks, bonds, funds, different things. So it's really saying, well, if you can get the money at two, two and a half, even 3% right now, and you're able to invest it in something which is growing at a more substantial rate than that, mm -hmm. how will that accelerate? Even you just look at how will that accelerate paying off your home? Well, the plan is paid off in 10 years. Well, if you can leverage, you owe 500000 right now. If you can borrow $300,000 and you pay 2%, but you get 6% on it, how much money are you making every year on that money? Mm -hmm. And if you just took that part there and use that to pay off your current mortgage and then use the principal that you invested in to pay off the, the borrowed amount, how much sooner could you pay off your mortgage, let alone reach other, other objectives and other goals? So it's basically borrowing money that pays for itself. Exactly. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of crazy. Plus, you you have uh, on the other side the whole tax deductions that are available to you. And this is you know this is one of the great things that you talk about, Jonathan. Having a full financial team around you, having a, an accountant you trust, a financial advisor you trust, and a mortgage broker you trust, and a realtor and a lawyer and all of those. But having that team, so that whatever part you want to explore, those people can work together and give you their their thoughts, opinions, and strategies. And there should be some synergy because if you have a you know a very very conservative person and a very very uh, aggressive person that's not going to be a real productive conversation i would imagine <laughs> 
Well, you, you've got to look at, I, I know some people, they don't want to, I'll say, engage these people because they say, well, what's it going to cost me to do so? When you've got to look and say, if they're able to put together strategies and, and things to put you further ahead, going, yes, there may be some costs to get these people to help you out. But ultimately, if you're making more money than it's costing you, then does it really cost you anything? Does it cost well, you more to not have them? Well, that's exactly it, right there. What's it costing you to not know these things? Yes. And, and it's not only what's it costing you like in not making it this year, but in earning potential over your lifetime. Holy cow. That's, that's more, more risks than I'd be willing to take personally. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it was Darren Hardy. I, I heard him talking about um, making the decision to go into Starbucks and buy a $5 coffee. And that investors and, and successful business people think about, well, that $5 coffee right now, it's only $5, but in 10 years time as an investor, that could be worth 50. Do I really want a $50 coffee? Yeah. And it's a mindset. It's an important way of thinking at these, uh, of these things. Uh, penny wise, pound foolish. <laughs> oh, exactly. Um, so how would you structure somebody? Somebody comes to you, they've, they've got that million dollar house, $500 million, or sorry, 500 million, $500,000 mortgage. Um, what would you, how would you structure them? So first conversation is what are some of the things you want to accomplish? What, I mean, mm -hmm. and it usually comes back to the top three financial, financial concerns, mm -hmm. which are, which are, I mean, paying off the house, which we've spoken about, uh, kids' education, and then retirement for themselves. And the fourth one coming up more and more is, is basically helping their kids get started, which is oftentimes the younger generations with the way prices are going are needing some assistance from family to get into their first house. Mm -hmm. So let's figure out which, which of these things are your top priorities. Where are you at on that map right now? where do you need some help? What do you, what do you need to get further ahead in these things here? Mm -hmm. um, if you, if you look at retirement and this, this is, if we're talking about retirement planning, this is where we need to get a financial advisor typically involved because it really comes down to what's the lifestyle that you want to have when you retire. That was something I was going to comment on. Yeah. Um, one of the, if you have you ever read the money master the game by Tony Robbins? I have. Yes. Right in the beginning, he gets you to make out your own financial plan. Yeah. <clears throat> I found that to be one of the most brilliant tools I have ever used to understand where I truly want to go in life. Yeah. And, and understand how much money I'm going to need to do it. And, and exactly what you said. It's not, but it, it's not just like a, Hey, I'd like to have this, like figure out, you know, uh, how many vacations a year do I want to take? And how much money do I want to spend on each vacation? Yeah. And then, then what, type, what type of car do you want to be driving? Where do you want yep. to be living? Uh, if you're just like, well, I just, I'm just going to live in my house. I'm not going to go outside, which is what a lot of people, when they get into a fixed income situation, resort to just because they can't afford anything further. Yep. Yep. As opposed to saying, you know what, what do I really want to do? Do I want to travel? Do I want to, do I want to, I mean, do I want to go to Italy? Do I want to go to South America? What's, what are these types of trips? Do, do I want to travel on cruises? Whatever the, whatever it is, what mm -hmm. are these, what are these trips cost today? Yeah. And then if you say, well, what does it cost today? If we apply standard inflation and say, well, what's it going to cost me in 15 years? And then what will it continue to cost year over year after that? If I want to something that I want to keep doing. Yeah. And do I buy lease or, or rent? Yeah. Whatever I do. 
and understanding what those monthly payments are going to look like. And then you've got your yearly. And now you've got a real solid plan you can go after. That's brilliant, Jonathan, and, and comprehensive. I think that's really one of the things that impresses me the most when you look at people's situations is really looking at understanding what you actually want. Not just what you think you want, but like what's it going to cost you to get what you want. That's really important stuff. So how would you structure them? Would it be uh, remortgaging or would it be some sort of line of credit? Depends. I got to look at their current situation, what they've got available, and now what what do we need to set up? I had to throw that answer at least once today. <laughs> then, uh, then, then, and part of it comes down to taxation. What's a strategy? Uh, does a, a line of credit make sense? Does does a new yeah. mortgage make sense? Uh, if it's being pulled out to invest, it could be done with in mortgage because you're getting better rates. But this is where we need to have a separate mortgage portion so we can clearly state that, yes, here's the current mortgage. Here's what was taken out to invest. And that has to be documented if you, if you want to be able to, to write off the interest. So you could set up like uh, two lines of credit or just do a refinance and set up a line of credit? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is kind of off topic, but it just kind of popped in my head. And that's why I said it's going to be a long one. It goes back to the, the mindset or the, the, the shift in, in thinking that's happened. I remember hearing back in the day, the second mortgage being like the worst thing in the world. People no, nobody ever wanted to take out a second mortgage on their home, but that's still occurring under a different name. Is it not? What's the different name? You're, you're the line of here. credit. It is it. It, well, there's different types of second mortgages. So I, I understand that, but I think it was, uh, I think it was actually Melanie that said it to me. And it, it was kind of a mind blower for me because I never thought of it that way, but it's true. It's just been a remarketing on accessing the equity in your home. A lot of people back in the eighties were like, I had to take a second mortgage out of my home. And I'm sure the rates would have been ridiculous on second mortgages back then. Yeah. And it was a horrible thing. But then the, the line of credit came out. It's essentially a different, it's a second mortgage, truly. But yeah, it's not. <laughs> but it's, it's really a marketing ploy to change that whole mindset on people accessing their, their own money. Yeah. So, so yeah, with, with the second mortgage, I mean, I think the second mortgage you want to avoid unless it's absolutely necessary if you're getting something private or something, uh, but, but actually using money and wisely using it. And there are, circ there are some circumstances where, hey, based on what you're looking at, if the only way you can get the money is through a second mortgage, even if it's at 12, 14%, but the return you're going to get is substantially more, is it worth it? Yeah. So there would be instances if you're going that way, but we're not talking about second mortgage today. We're talking about lines of credit. Yep. <laughs> no, that's a, just a guidance back. Cause that's a whole other conversation. Um, but it, yeah. Do, would you agree that the a line of credit is just in th theory, a different uh, branding on a second mortgage? It, I guess is in theory, a different branding on a second mortgage, but at the same time, it gives you a lot of flexibility. Yeah, well, I'm not saying it's not because a great it, option. It, yeah. it, it, it gives you phenomenal access to money that you don't pay anything for unless you need it. Mm -hmm. And it's tax deductible if you're using it for investing. 
That's correct. Yes. So you would set somebody up typically with, uh, you would make sure the structure is right. Set them up with uh, either a line of credit or a total refinance or a combination of both. So they could have some money for whatever, and then have some money that was specifically for investing that they could write off against their income yep. interest. Yep. And then, now, I'm not going to ask you on a whole lot of things here, but that's kind of a one, two, three process. Figure out what you want, figure out how much money you can get out, and then where to put it. Obviously, we're going to steer away from advising anything in the uh, securities or funds area, but there's all sorts of, you know, if you want to look at things like that, Jonathan does have people. But let's talk about specifically the investment property income system that you teach people and how you would access that equity to accelerate both, uh, let's say, uh, modestly or aggressively. Let's do a, a model of each based on that $1 million house and a $500,000 mortgage. So in that scenario, you've got, we can refinance your current house, access up to 80% up to of the value. Mm -hmm. So it'd be 800,000 less what you currently owe. So you really, you've got $300,000 available that can be used. Okay. And as you say, if we're talking about the investment property income, uh, that's where you got $300,000 that can be used as a down payment on a new property as an investment property. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, with investment rules, you need 20% down on the property. So with, with 300,000, you could buy up to one, is my math right? Yeah, 1.5 1, 1. million in, uh, in real estate. It doesn't necessarily need to be one property. It could be a few properties, but you could buy up to $1.5 million in real estate with $300,000 available to put down. Hmm. That's a good way of looking at it. That's interesting. So let's, let's go with very conservative to start. We have $300,000 we can ac access. I've never been an investor before. How much should I take out and what should I do with it? Uh, well, you probably, if you're not quite sure what to do, let's set it up as a line of credit so you don't have to access it today. Okay. So, but now you've got the means available as, so you can do some research, take some time, figure out where's, where do you want to invest type of property? Does a condo make more sense? Townhouse, a house, something something in Toronto in the city, something out Niagara way or Hamilton, or I'm going to say Toronto's out. If we're looking at uh, <laughs> accessing something modest here, we'd have to take out the whole money. Would we not Con condo market? No. Okay. Fair. Yeah. I love when you correct me. <laughs> I mean, and and uh... con con condo, as far as rental market uh, in some ways, makes more sense just as far as the dollar of rent you're getting compared to the purchase price. Fair. Fair. I, uh, <laughs> you believe that I, I couldn't get funded years ago, like six years ago on a 200 and, uh, it was 238, no, $219,000 one bedroom condo. It was, it was micro condo, 499 square feet. So they wouldn't finance it. That same condo now is probably, you didn't you didn't know me back then did you i could have helped you out no we actually didn't know each other back then now that we now no. that we say that no i was going through the realtor and he had one guy <laughs> i knew nothing about mortgages back then then just one more example of how much you don't know and how much it costs you <laughs> so let's say um 
let's say we've figured out the type of home we want. Yep. How much should I actually risk? I've got 500 grand. I already owe on my mortgage. 300 I can take out. Not real comfortable with it. How much should I access? Let's let's start, as you say, let's start conservative. Let's not go for the full 300. Let's maybe start buy something if you can find something in the five, 600 range, uh, putting 100,000 or so down. So mm -hmm. you're not using everything you've got. You still have some buffer room that you can go to. But let, let's, let's start with that. Start with one property and say, how does it work out for you? Mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're ultra like risk averse and every, okay, try one property. Let's, let's put a one, to, let's probably put a two-year game plan in place. And we'll check back at the end of two years and say, how was that? I mean, I don't mean we're never going to talk during that two-year period, but really the reassessment will be in two years. And was how this was good for experience? you as it was for me? Exactly the case. How, <laughs> how, 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 how was the experience? How, how was the cash flow? How was your experience being a landlord? Uh, was it like the nightmares you thought it might be? Or was it kind of like, hey, you know what? You had to deal with four calls the entire year, which is yeah. kind of my experience with being a landlord. Yep. Yeah. With one one of those calls being the tenants calling up and saying, "Hey, listen, I'm I'm uh, uh, it's a tight month for me. Can can I give you the rent on the tenth instead of the first? Yeah, it's um, it's kind of interesting uh, how people do have those different risk tolerances, and then of course the, the was it I think Zig Ziglar said uh, fear is false expectations appearing real. Yeah, or false evidence appearing real. And that I think is a, a big thing that prevents a lot of people from doing this strategy is just not knowing what they don't know. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big uh, Richard Branson said it. He said, if uh, someone gives you an opportunity, say yes and figure out how to do it later. I, I definitely have lived my life by that. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing in this room, but I am going to act like I do. <laughs> um, so that's the ultra conservative say we do one check back in a couple of years see how it's going and then we can reevaluate exactly now if somebody was super aggressive could they in that instance say go for three homes yep they could of course they'd have to have closing costs and a little bit extra on top of that because yes know, or or go for a little bit cheaper home but they could go for three three right off the hop and three, if, if you can get three, if you get three around the $500,000 mark, so we're still getting about 1.5 in real estate, yep. obviously subject to qualification. Throw, throw that <laughs> Disclaimer. <in> <laughs> Our lawyer will be happy. Uh, <laughs> um, so you could just go with three right off the bat, create a two year timeline. And yep. now you've got three properties, probably not cash flowing right away, depending on their area. Yeah. Expect that. Um, but you have now, uh, uh, an appreciating, appreciating asset that's building at three to 4% a year on very little money compared to the size of the asset. Yep. I think that's another key that people don't understand is they're borrowing what, uh, 40, no, not 40, 80% more than they're investing. That's correct. Yeah. So for you're getting a return on a hundred percent of something you only own twenty percent of. That's right. That that that's one of the beauties is that yeah you're getting an asset that over time, over time historically has appreciated and continues to appreciate in value. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are downturns everything else, but over time, it appreciates. 
Uh, so if you look at the long-term strategy, and I, I look, when you're looking at real estate, you should be looking with a five to 10 year time frame, because in, in ideally probably 10, because in a 10 year period, look historically in 10 year period, real estate has gone up. Well, I mean, we talk about the global financial crisis. People are still reeling from that. Like it's the worst thing that ever happened. Yes. Like a trillion dollars disappeared overnight and people's people's um, pension funds got wiped out, but housing crashed. And now where is it? Yeah. And it was only because of irresponsibility and greed. There was a lot of, a lot of stuff happened at the top that, should have, you know, I think we've all seen the big short, but I think also in the, the, the buyers not being educated and just, you know, trying to get more than they can, you know, if people were truly educated in what you're teaching right here, they'd have a hell of a lot better shot at retiring wealthy than they do just investing in, in somebody and not knowing what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the number one takeaway from this is don't listen to us. Go find out the information. Yeah. Well, no. Hey, at the end of the day, what are we trying to do here? We're trying to get we're trying to get people to 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 use us for their their mortgages, right? We That's, are. Yep. You know, hundred percent transparency. We're putting out information and value, trying to help people understand how to do stuff, hoping that they trust that information enough to come back to us and use us as as their mortgage company. But at the end of the day. What we're really trying to do is educate people because there are so many people that fall so far behind when when they don't need to. Yeah. You know, I, I think of my mom, may she rest in peace, but if she had had this information uh, a decade ago or more, how much further ahead could she have been? She owned her own home. She had equity, but, you know, she had bad people on her financial team and she her, her investments were costing her every year. It's crazy. So, Jonathan, thank you for sharing that information. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, but I guess one last kind of, we'll say, big dream look at this. How long does it take for those assets to now become cash flowing assets before you, you well, I guess the mortgage doesn't, would, yeah, I guess it would get treat cheaper over time, right? If you just, well, if you look at it straight line, uh, your your mortgage payment would not change much over time. Okay. Assuming rates, if the rate were to stay the same for the entire, call it twenty five years, of your amortization, the payment would remain constant for the full twenty five years. Okay. Uh, so rates will change, which will fluctuate things. So it'd be uh, the, rent that would dictate any cash flow. Exactly. Now rent rents again, they will typically go up over time. The the other option with the mortgage is as the mortgage gets paid down, you could continue to extend out the amortization. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which which okay, so several years from now, uh, the mortgage payment is twenty five hundred dollars a month. You're paying uh but the mortgage that was five hundred was four hundred is now three hundred thousand. If you extend the amortization back out, if the rate remains the same, that twenty five hundred dollar payment will probably drop to closer to two thousand. Hmm. If that if your objective is the cash, the monthly cash flow on the property, keep extending the amortization out. Yeah, you're paying the mortgage down slower, but if you want the cash flow off the property, which let's let's just say your objective through the property was to generate a cash flow so you could have that to live off of. Mm-hmm. So if that was your objective, when you're reaching retirement, okay, extend out the amortization on any real estate rental properties you own to keep your required payment as low as possible 
So you've mm-hmm. got the cash flow. So you've got the cash, the extra cash coming in between the rents have gone up. In addition to your, you now have a smaller mortgage amount. Yep. So there's there's a lot of different things, and these this is part of why I love real estate. You really there's three ways to make money on it. And what are those three ways? So there's the monthly cash flow we're talking about. You've got the appreciation. And you also have the principal pay down where part of that money every single month goes towards the principal on the, uh, on the mortgage, which builds more equity in the property. So over five years, you could be looking at 25% return on your money. Yeah. Or sometimes more. Yeah. But, but consistently when I've looked at real estate and I've run numbers, it's usually, yeah, somewhere between 18 and 25% is what you can look at. Hmm. And that's a, that's a real decent return. And if you buy in the right spot at the right time, you can get even higher. But of course, you got to be looking long term because it could dip like it did back in 2008. And, you know, we all thought that was Armageddon. And, you know, three years later, the market was right back up to where it was. Yeah. Except for some areas in the States. But <laughs> so let, let's talk pie in the sky, Jonathan. Let's say we went crazy. We bought three properties. Two years down the road, we're quite happy. We're not maybe cash flowing a lot, but we can certainly see the appreciation on the property. We got some pay down happening. Um, how big can we go? How big do you want to go? Let's let, let's talk by in the sky. Let's talk by in the sky. So I know at four properties, something has to change. Yeah, well, if you're looking at single family homes, uh, there starts becoming limits. By single, single family just means obviously it's be it a condo, a house, whatever, you're buying one unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with those ones there, there are limits as far as what lenders will do before you, they start applying commercial criteria to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, where That's where a lot of investors might switch over. So I find that investors who, when they start getting five, six, seven, eight, nine properties, we really get up to 10 with stranded residential. Uh, if it's done right, but typically it's about five is where it's going to cap out. Uh, but once you get beyond that, that's where a lot of investors start looking at multifamily units. So buying a 20, a 20 unit complex because so really is now, now the, the lending rules change. <laughs> it really is monopoly. You've got to trade your four houses up for a hotel and it is exactly. four houses that things start changing. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's all making so much sense now. <laughs> Sorry. I just never drew that, that, that comparison of four houses. That's weird. <laughs> so what came first monopoly or real estate investing? Uh, <laughs> I know you're not Clear, clearly to- real estate investing. <laughs> Actually, the history of the mortgage is quite interesting. Um, back in the feudal ages and all that stuff, it's kind of kind of cool. Um, so, really, you'd be looking at four from the time you're you're at four, your your financing criteria change. Yes, and you, you would have to register a corporation at that point. It, the, we're get we're going down like a whole other conversation here because uh, <laughs> well, I want to talk pie in the sky. <laughs> it, it's 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 really one. It's really you want to get beyond single family homes at that point because the standard sing, single family go go to I mean go through be it a mortgage broker or bank and saying hey I'm buying single family homes to rent the criteria changes 
and now you start getting into a commercial underwrite and they start saying, well, we've got to give you higher rates versus if you go multi multi uh, family homes, you can still get similar rates and sometimes better rates and you're getting on the resident, the regular, uh, the regular residential stuff. Wow. So truly it would be to, to, to scale up and go for a, uh, an apartment building as opposed to more houses at that point. Exactly. Yes. Wow. So the sky truly is the limit. It is. Wow. That's crazy. I want to trade my houses for a hotel. Anyhow, Jonathan, uh, anything you want to uh, wrap this up with today? Uh, just a always a one. pleasure speaking with you. It's, it has been a long one. Thank you for, for tuning in. <laughs> well, thank you, Jonathan. I, I really appreciate it. This, hey, this has been a good conversation for me. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. I, uh, I always love talking about this stuff. And sometimes we get a little more in depth or I get a little more off topic. Well, I'm not sure which one happened there, but... Anyhow, if you want to find out more about uh, Jonathan and, and some of the strategies he's helped countless Canadians fund, uh, uh, create wealth for their retirement with, you can shoot him a, an email at Jonathan at a mortgage That's Jonathan at a mortgage Of course, you can join our meetup group on, uh, on meetup, the investment property income meetup group. Or you can go to Investment Property Income Book and download the book that Jonathan and I co-authored authored called The Investment Property Income Book. Uh, <laughs> so that makes the, the, the title of the uh, website quite easy as well. Uh, thank you for listening. You can always find us on Spotify, Google, and Amazon, wherever podcasts are played. Have a fantastic day, and we will see you next time.